All right, let's pray. Heavenly Father, we come to you with great thanks and adoration in our hearts, Lord. As we sing these songs, they are prayers to you, Lord. They are prayers because you are worthy of everything that we have. And as we come here today, Lord, we know that you are a minister to the brokenhearted, Lord, that you are near to those who have a broken heart, Lord. And so I pray that you administer now by your Holy Spirit and through your word to those who are brokenhearted. I pray, Lord, for every condition of the heart that is represented here, Lord, that you would minister individually to each one here, Lord. Each one of us, uh, Lord, are having things that we're going through, and we look to you and cling to you and trust you implicitly, Lord. And Lord, as we get into your word this morning, I pray that your word would do its work on our hearts, Lord, that it would break up the fallow ground, that it would be a lamp into our feet, that it would divide between the soul and the spirit, Lord, that it would reveal the truth to us that sets us free and help us as a church body to be those who continue in your word as we are your disciples, Lord. And so we pray now, your Holy Spirit, come upon us, that you would minister your word to us, and that our hearts would be sensitive and ready to receive what you have for us. And we pray this in Jesus' name, all God's people said, Amen. Amen. All right, can you say hello to someone, please, before you sit down? Okay, everyone, come on in and have a seat. All right, so if you have your Bibles this morning, please go ahead and take them out and turn to the book of Luke chapter 11, and uh, we're going to begin in verse 37 and sort of work our way through that. While you're turning there, I have a few announcements to let you know what's going on uh, in and through the church. First off, uh, tomorrow night, we have our women's ministry meeting here um, at 7 o'clock, and then Wednesday night we start a new book. Uh, we just finished the book of Galatians, and now we're going to go into the book of Ephesians. And so if you're new here, we value verse-by-verse verse teaching through the Word of God, and so we just go through the Bible like that because we believe that God has something to say, and uh, what He has to say is found right here. So that's why we do that. And we'll never stop doing that as, uh, as long as I'm here. So. <laughs> um, so then the men's fellowship, they meet on Saturdays at 10 o'clock. And uh, they meet at 1085 right down the walkway. And uh, you can also uh, pick up those studies on uh, Zoom, I believe. So that Saturday, uh, corporate prayer for the church is the third Thursday of every month. That will be March 20, 21st. So that will be the third Thursday of March. That will be here in the sanctuary. It's kind of save the date type of deal. And um, we have a, another save the date. Our baptism at the lake and all church picnic is Sunday, June 9th at Lake Grapevine. We'll give you more information as we get closer to that event. So with that, uh, if you will turn your attention to the book of Luke, as we are in chapter 11, verse 37, we are looking at a section of Scripture which, as I was thinking about what Jesus was dealing with and tackling here, I, I was thinking about how many people, maybe, maybe you, maybe someone you know, have gotten turned off to the church because of the very same things that turned Jesus off. So it's possible that someone would be upset at the church or be upset at the feeling or the lack of concern or care or tenderness that a, a church would have when in reality, that's exactly what upset Jesus in regards to the re religious establishment of the day. Imagine hating the church and not going to church because the church wasn't representing Jesus properly and appropriately. 
So don't throw the baby out with the bathwater, as they say, because what Jesus was dealing with, which is what many people today deal with, is legalism. Legalism is a plague of the church because it's not the correct application. In fact, this is what Jesus denounced over and over again. And it's no mistake that Jesus agitated those on purpose who were legalists. What is a legalist? What does that mean? Well, just the term legal, you think what? Law. Law. If you're, you're thinking right, if you're thinking that. So a legalist is someone who desires to be right with God by either doing things or not doing things. That may be religious traditions and rules and thinking, well, if, if I go to this church or I do these things the church says, then I am holy and righteous before God. And at the same time, you can say, well, those other people, they're not doing those things. So I'm more holy than another person, or I'm more righteous than another person. And this is the spirit of legalism. This is what uh, we had just finished uh, going through a whole book about legalism in the book of Galatians on Wednesday night. And so this legalism, Jesus is dealing with here in the text that is in front of us. And as he does this, he is pointing out that there has to be a distinction, and there is a distinction between works and grace to the extent, and this is maybe where it starts getting into our neck of the woods, to where we have a mixture of both. Jesus makes it very clear it's either by law or by grace. It's either by works or by faith. You can't have both. And these legalistic tendencies can creep into every one of our lives, even if we are a Bible-believing, grace-honoring Christian that we face the temptation of falling into these legalistic patterns. Uh, one example of this is the churches in the area of Galatia. The Apostle Paul, he was on his missionary journeys and he preached this gospel that is only through belief or through faith that one can be righteous before God, that we are righteous or justified or made clean by faith in Jesus, not by works that we do. And so the churches in the area of Galatia, they started off like that. They received the Holy Spirit. They were free. They were born again. And then there were some people that came to the church at Galatia and said, that's great, you're a Christian, but now you actually have to be Jewish and go through the Jewish purification laws and be circumcised if you're a male, and do Jewish things. And Paul said in Galatians 1.6, he says, I marvel that you are turning away so soon from him who called you in the grace of Christ to a different gospel. That's pretty heavy because if we add anything into being saved by grace through faith. Any sort of extra thing that we need to do, what happens when we do that is we make the gospel different. The gospel is all about what Christ has done for us. And so we actually make the work of Christ on the cross null and void when we add a work into what he has already done for either for our salvation or to be more holy or righteous before God. In Galatians 3.1, he says, O foolish Galatians, who has bewitched 
you. And that, that's a, a term where someone sort of put a spell or seduced you or gave you some sort of um, supernatural feeling to pull you away from this gospel of grace. He says that you should obey or should not obey the truth. Did you receive the spirit by the works of the law or by the hearing of faith? Are you so foolish having begun in the spirit that now you are being made perfect in the flesh? So that's a a warning to believers to continue in faith by the power of the spirit and not by works even after we get saved. So there's a danger that's the, the point of what we're seeing. There's a danger first and foremost to where if someone believes in a gospel that has works in it, the Bible says that the person that brings that message, so every religion, every cult that says that you have to do something to contribute to your salvation The Bible actually says, let that person or that church or that denomination be accursed. And that word accursed means damned. So it's not just some different views of skewed uh, doctrine or someone just thinking a little different. The Bible says that adding works into grace actually is a damning theology so it's that serious and so now as we we look at what jesus is doing in our text he's tackling that attitude head on that religious ideology and that religious philosophy of legalism he's confronting it head on and sometimes uh people will will ask me uh, more about legalism and You know, how do you know if you're legalistic? Well, we're going to look at all that kind of stuff, but there's always an attitude of a a legalist. There's a a characteristic of a legalist. And one of the ways, this is just something that came to my mind, but they're just mean. You know, I know that's not real theologically uh, high, but legalists are really mean. They're unloving, criticizing, fault-finding, one slip-up, you're toast. Don't say the wrong thing. Don't do the wrong thing. Don't slip up. And they're doing that because they're thinking that they're not like that. And that's the problem. The, the infestation of pride that comes with self-righteousness that even in the uh, book of Ephesians Paul talked about the fact that we are saved, Ephesians 2.8, we are saved by grace through faith and not of our works. Why? What would happen? Do you remember that part? Lest anyone should boast. So the the works-based righteousness causes pride and causes competition and causes boasting. And it's it's just a, a terribly ugly presentation of the goodness of God. And so let's take a look in verse 37 of chapter 11 and look at how Jesus deals with uh, legalists. So it says in verse 37, it says, and as he spoke, as Jesus spoke, a certain Pharisee asked him to, to dine with him. So now you have another interaction with Pharisees. This is something that that we see a lot with Jesus. It seemed like he he was really out to dismantle this system of pharisaical understanding. And we, we see him doing miracles on the Sabbath just to say, look, it's not about the Sabbath. There's something bigger the Sabbath is to serve man, and man is not to serve the Sabbath. The, the things of the law were, were there to all point to the reality of the one who had come to fulfill the law for us. 
So the law was put in place. And when I say law, I'm, I'm talking about it starts with the Ten Commandments. And then that expanded into the interpretation of the Ten Commandments through the oral traditions, which was the Mishnah. And the Mishnah at Jesus' time was oral and not written. Later it became written. And then the Talmud would come later to interpretate the interpretations of the Mishnah that was an interpretation of the Ten Laws. And so it became so difficult by this legalistic way to know God that, that it was impossible to do and, and people became frustrated. And those who are those uh, Pharisees that we see here in the text, they, they were self-imposed the standard of what everybody should be like religiously. That's what a Pharisee does. They say, everybody should be like I am. So I'm the sinner of everything, and then everybody should look at me and, do, and be exactly like I am. And if you're not, then you're dirty and unclean, and I don't want to have anything to do with you. So here we see this interaction where the Pharisee actually asks Jesus over to dine with him. And what may seem like a, a nice gesture to have a nice luncheon, it seems like the Pharisee didn't really want to have a luncheon. He wanted to have a lynching because he had a plan here to expose Jesus. And so he asks him to come over. And by the way, the Pharisees were uh, pretty much the people you would look at as the, the legalists, the ones who were in charge of the law and keeping the law and explaining the law and what have you. And so he asked them to come to dinner. So Jesus went in and he sat down to eat. And here's a pharisaical attitude. When the Pharisee saw it, he marveled. So Jesus just come to the Pharisee says, hey, Jesus, you want to come over to dine with me? Jesus comes over and he sits down and immediately you can see the Pharisee going sort of like, <sighs> you know that feeling when you just can't do anything right with someone, just everything you do is oh, disgust, disdain. So Jesus comes in and he's marveling and just, ah. Oh, that kind of attitude. Why was he doing that? It's because uh, he had not first washed before dinner. Now that doesn't mean that Jesus didn't cleanse his hands in a way to get all the germs off. This was a ceremonial washing. So Jesus didn't follow the legal rules to where you sit down from dinner and you have to go through this whole process of just cleansing your hands. It, it didn't have anything to do with your hands being clean and sanitized. It had everything to do with following the rituals and traditions and rules that were being imposed. He couldn't believe that Jesus didn't do that. So in verse 39, it says, The Lord said to him, Now you Pharisees, what you do is you make the outside of the cup and dish clean. But your inward part is full of greed and wickedness. So Jesus is exposing something. He's exposing a pharisaical attitude. And that pharisaical attitude was that in the heart of the person asking Jesus over to eat was greed and hatred, and murder, and who knows else what else. But in his eyes, he didn't care about that because he was putting water on his hands ceremonially. And Jesus brings this condition up that I'll, I'll call a heartless condition. It's a heartless condition condition to have certain attitudes in our heart but then because we're doing some outward thing we feel like the outward thing is what's most important 
disregarding what our true condition of our heart is. And he says, you make the outside of the cup and the dish clean, but inside your part is full of greed and wickedness. And greed because the the Pharisees would often take advantage of people and, and extort money from them using religion to take money from people, telling them that they, if they gave more or did more, that they'd be more holy. And that was a wicked attitude. And Jesus says, foolish ones, did not he who made the outside make the inside also? So this general principle is, why is it so important for you to be good in your own eyes or obedient to rules, but the God who made your whole self, you completely disregard. You don't even care about those attitudes in your heart. And see, here's, here's the trouble with legalism. The outward things that we do will often give a person a false sense of security in thinking that because they're doing some outward things, then they, they completely neglect some of these attitudes that are sinful in their own heart, and that's because people don't see them. Let me correct that. A legalist thinks that people don't see the attitudes of their heart. But it's very difficult to hide being a legalist, one, here, because we see a legalist lacks the most important thing that a believer must have, and that is love. So here's, you can put this sort of in our evangelical tables here. So you, you can think that attending here this morning, spending an hour and a half here, that is what you're supposed to do. And because you're doing that, then it's okay to harbor bitterness and unforgiveness in your heart. And you're thinking, well, I go to church, or you could even think, I do devotions every single day. I take two hours out and I sit at 5.30 in the morning when no one's up, the sun's not up, and already you're building this like, nobody else does this, this is just me, and look at me. And you're doing that, and you're okay hating and being bitter your neighbor, your brother and sister. And that those things in your heart, the Bible says, Hatred and those, it's like murder in your heart. But because you're doing outward things, you're thinking, That's, I'm, I'm doing these outward things, I'm okay. And Jesus is calling us out on that. And he's telling us he desires obedience over sacrifice. He desires our heart over our actions. And you may say at this point, well, do actions matter at all? Of course they do. But our actions come from our heart. Our actions don't come to make our heart better. Our heart, through belief in Jesus Christ, is made new, made loving, loving of God and loving of people. And so what we do as believers is from a changed heart is from the love of God working in us and through us not to get the love of God, not to earn the righteousness of God. It's completely opposite and different. And Jesus says in verse 41, he's saying, he's saying, give alms of such things as you have, then Indeed, all things are clean to you. What does that mean? What he's saying is that word alms means mercy. And when he says of such things as you have, he's 
talking about the things within you, the attitude that you have before God. And he's saying that as you are right before God, then what will happen is your your actions will be done in love. And he's saying that's what's important. But instead, in verse 42, woe to you Pharisees. For you tithe mint and rue and all manner of herbs. And yet you pass by justice and the love of God. These you ought to have done without leaving the others undone. Do you see what's going on? Can you imagine tithing and counting out? So you, if you went shopping this weekend, you went shopping. And, and say you went out shopping yesterday and you have church today and you take everything out of the things that you shopped with. And you had salt and pepper. And you're counting those grains to get 10% so that you can make sure the 10% is, is going to the Lord. And you're looking at your hot dog buns, which they would not do. God, <laughs> And while you're doing that, he's saying... You don't care about justice. In other words, he's saying, that's the real thing. The attitude of your heart to deal with people fairly. And then he says, and the the love of God. So what's wrong with with legalism? It's it's heartless. It's missing the, the most important thing that God says all the law is summed up in what? To love God and love other people. And so there's a a tenderness in the way God transforms us and makes us new in him when we live by grace and walk with grace. There's a tenderness, there's a humility, and that will be seen by our interactions and how we treat one another. The second thing we see is not only... Legalism, heartless, it's shameless. He says it again in verse 43. Woe to you, Pharisees, for you love the best seats in the synagogues and the greetings in the marketplaces. So they wanted to do religious things to be seen by others. They enjoyed... The applause, they enjoyed the fame, they enjoyed the notoriety and the notice of other people. They enjoyed position. They liked how everybody sort of revered them and treated them as if they were in a whole different category. They had a hierarchical system where they were at the top. And everybody below them was less than them, and they would demean other people. They would see everyone else as unclean, dirty. Everybody was dirty, except for them. They were completely shameless because they lived for their own glory. Now, here's something very remarkable about that. We see the same type of attitude, and we may not have connected the dots that it's actually legalism, but we see this same sort of attitude in Christian evangelical circles with the desire to be front and center and to be an influencer and to have people speak well and to be out there in the public and in such a way where we want people to like us like we're a pop star. This is modern-day Western culture evangelical Christianity where the pastor is a pop star. They even have awards. If you're good musically, you can get awards too, where everybody thinks you're the best one out of everybody. That's all. I have a problem with that, but I'm not going to be legalistic about that. <laughs> but that's a whole other discussion. But listen to this. 
Philippians 3.19. Actually, we'll start at verse 18. It says, For many walk, of whom I have told you often, and now tell you even weeping, that they are enemies of the cross. So what does that mean? That means there are, there are people who live, walk means live, who live in a way where they're representing Christianity or representing Christ. But he says they're actually enemies of the cross. How does that work? How can you be an enemy of the cross if you're a Christian? doesn't make sense. That's what makes you a Christian is that you take up your cross. So he says this, what's an enemy of the cross? Well, first of all, someone who's an enemy of the cross, they don't embrace the necessity to die to oneself. It says their end is destruction. Their God is their belly. What that means is they don't, live by the power of the Holy Spirit working through them saying, Lord, your will be done, not my will. But they're just doing their own thing. That's not what Christians do. We don't do our own thing. We surrender to the will of God and follow the Holy Spirit. But an enemy of the cross is their God is their belly. They live for pleasure, their own pleasure. And then it says, whose glory is their shame. So they live for popularity and notice and influence in a way where they get all the attention. They are being glorified. They are being lifted up. They are being magnified. When Christ himself, whom we follow, what did he do? He lowered himself. Have you ever read Philippians chapter 2? He lowered himself first by condescending into a human being. Imagine the creator of all, uni- all the universe and everything is in it coming into time, space, and matter and taking on a human body. That right there, the distance of humility there is the greatest distance that we could ever know, that God became man, the incarnation. But not only that, he humbled himself even to the, to the point of the cross. So he humbled himself to go to the cross. And we are told that let the same mind that is in Christ be in us. That we are to have that same understanding of walking in humility and surrender to God. That is what it means to live as a Christian dead to ourself. And as Galatians 2.20 says that I've been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live but it's Christ who lives in me. In the life that I now live, I live by faith in the Son of God. So that's how we live as Christians. When we're doing our own thing, let's face it, we're not following Christ. We're doing our own thing. Christianity is not doing your own thing. Christianity is surrendering to the will of God and following Him. Whatever that means and whatever comes about, that's not important. What's important is we live and walk by faith. And then the last thing about being an enemy of the cross, it says they set their mind on earthly things. So the earth is why they do the things that they do and live the way they live is because the earth is their heaven. They're living for the here and now instead of living for Christ. But this is a pharisaical attitude. It's shameless. It puts the individual in the center to be glorified where Jesus says the first shall be last and the last shall be first. Jesus speaking about this sort of attitude, especially in the Pharisees in Matthew 6, 6, he says, take heed that you do not do your charitable deeds before men to be seen by them. So what if that just happened? What if that one thing just happened in Christianity that you didn't do what you did so other people would notice and say, you're you're something special. I've never seen anything like you. You're in a whole category. You are really God's gift to the church. Without you, the whole church would fall apart. 
And not only that, all of Christianity will fall apart without you. So we're so glad you're doing what you're doing. He said, don't do that. Don't do what you do so people applaud you and glorify you. Otherwise, you have no reward from your Father in heaven. And he says in Matthew 6, 8, And when you pray, actually, I have 6, 5, so don't quote me on that. I think it's 6, 5. When you pray, don't be like the hypocrites, for they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the corner of the streets that they may be seen. Assuredly, I say they have their reward. What's the reward that does religious works to be seen by men? It's whatever applause those men give them. That's it. You got that. No rewards in heaven, no treasures in heaven. What about Matthew 6, 18? When you fast, don't be like the hypocrites. With a sad countenance, they disfigure their faces that they may appear to men to be fasting. Assuredly, I say to you, they have their reward. So it's like, you don't shower in a week. You don't change your clothes in a week. And you go to church and you look as miserable as you can so that people say, what's wrong? Are you okay? Yeah, I'm fasting. <laughs> You're fasting? Wow, really? How long are you fasting? Uh, probably like 10 days right now. Really? You're fasting 10 days? I think it'll go another 10. And people are just, you're amazing, man. This guy, we got to put him in the pulpit or something. He should be the leader of our church, that kind of thing. Don't do that. There's a humility about being a Christian. That's a pharisaical attitude that we need to watch. And this attitude, watch what happens. The third thing about legalism is it's infectious. Now, that's the thing that blows me away because there's a draw to legalism. And that's because there can often be a resistance or a fear to just walk by faith. When, when we walk by faith, there's liberty, the Bible tells. There's freedom. But we have to recognize that as human beings, we are prone to want a program or a system to confine ourselves Two, that tells us if we're doing these things, these steps or following these rules or attending this ministry service or whatever, that if we do that, then we're okay. And it's a resistance to simply walk by faith. Faith can be scary. Faith requires trust. Faith requires us to believe in the goodness of God and the plan of God that he has for our life to the extent where we can let go of control. Legalism has a lot to do with control. Wanting to control our life, wanting to control outcomes, wanting to control other people's lives. And in a way, we're putting ourselves in the position of God when we do that. And for some reason, this is something that people gravitate towards. That's why there are cults and false religions is because this sort of understanding of self-righteousness, it puts man in the center. And this is something that we always have to watch. So he says in verse 44, he says, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees. So two categories of people, the, the scribes were uh, like the lawyers, the experts in the law that would transcribe the scriptures and the Pharisees were the ones who would take care of the temple and uh, make sure they administer the laws and teach the laws. And he called them hypocrites. He says, you are like graves which are not seen. And the men who walk over them, they're not aware of them. What does that mean? Well, someone... In Judaism, that would walk over a grave. They didn't say they didn't see it. Say the grass wasn't cut around it or something. You walk over. What would be the result of that? 
you'd be considered unclean, defiled, right? And you would be defiled without realizing that you, that you did anything. It, it wouldn't be an intention that if you saw it, you probably would have avoided it. And what Jesus is saying that the Pharisees are drawing people into their trap of religion and the people that are getting drawn into it, they don't even realize that they're being brought into this condition in which Christ has freed us from. This is something that appeals to a person that wants to be good. I, I want to be a good person, a person that cares about morality and doing right things. But like Satan so often does, he sails with the wind. So if you want to be good and you're kind of prone to wanting to please authorities and people and just be a good person, then a legalist can come and say, well, here's these rules how to do that. And because of some desire in a person to want to be good, they see those rules as a way to be right with God. And that's why these people knock on your door. And they tell you things about how to have a better life, whether it's a Jehovah's Witness or a Mormon. And they say, if you adopt our thing, you can be better. You need to take them to the book of Galatians and say, well, the Bible says if anybody comes with a different gospel that you're to be accursed. Because you're coming with something other than what the Bible says. So these legalists, they, they are not happy in their own self-righteousness, so they recruit other people to be self-righteous. And because of that, then they, the people that are getting involved in legalistic religions, without being aware of it, they are actually becoming defiled because they're trying to be right with God through their own works. This is something that Jesus went really hard on in Matthew 23, 15. He says, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you travel land and sea to win one proselyte, and when he is one, you make him twice as much the son of hell as yourselves. So you know what that means? That means you and me we have to be buyer beware. We have to be responsible on our own individually and personally for looking at what the Bible says so that we know when someone comes with a different gospel that we know what they're doing, that we understand it, that we recognize it. Because this type of legalism, it's all over and it's popular. And it appeals to prideful self-righteousness. Because if we're honest, to come to Jesus, we have to admit things about ourselves. That's hard to admit. That we're sinners. That we're not righteous. That we can't do it on our own. It's very humbling. And that's why the gospel is offensive to people. And that's also why religions that spread works-based legalistic righteousness are very popular. In Galatians 5.9, it says this, You ran well. Who hindered you from obeying the truth? This persuasion does not come from him who calls you. A little leaven leavens the whole lump. So Jesus puts this out there to the Pharisees. Here's their response, verse 45. Then one of the lawyers answered and said to him, Teacher, by saying these things, you reproach us. What is he saying? Jesus was hitting smack dab at the heart of their own problem, and they did not like it. They realize it. Wait a second. 
Remember, the Pharisee had him over for dinner. He was thinking, I'm going to get Jesus. He's here. He didn't ceremonially wash his hands. Now's my chance. I'm going to nail him. And by the middle of the discussion, he realizes his own condition. He's confronted with the truth that will set him free. And here's where it gets eternally important. Eternally important. What do we do when we're confronted with the truth? The biggest thing is first for salvation. And many people at the point of this Pharisee will push away, resist, get mad, angry. What are you talking about? Don't say, don't say that about me. Well, what is happening when one is doing that? They're being convicted and their pride is being put on display. This Pharisee now has been given an opportunity having God himself right in front of him at his dinner table or whatever it was, hearing the truth, and he could have taken that opportunity, humbled himself, and said, what do you have to say to me then? Just like another Pharisee, the Apostle Paul did. When we deal with legalism, there are so many different forms and ways we can be legalistic, but it really comes down to a, a religious system given to an individual to encourage and foster their own self-righteousness. And that's why the cross is such an offense. So to one person... The cross, it means eternal life. As they recognize their own sinful condition before God and they receive His sinless condition by faith. Or it could be a time of great anger, of rebellion and resistance, demonstrating our own condition of our own heart that's separated apart from God. When that happens the law is actually doing what it's designed to do. The purpose of the law is to show us and teach us and point out to us that we cannot be good enough to be right with God. That's what the law does. And so when one understands and sees that the law is like a mirror and it shows us our own depravity and our own ability to be right with God, the only answer is to cry out to God and say, have mercy on me, God. Father, forgive me. And when one humbles themselves and now steps into receiving the finished work of Jesus Christ on the cross, now they have accepted his righteousness, understanding that their righteousness will never be enough. And so this morning, as we finish looking at legalism, we're going to look at it next week as well. May we first consider, if, if we're not a Christian here this morning, it's probably because we think we're a good person on our own. And the Bible is calling us to repentance, to recognize our depravity before God. The Bible says we have all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. We may be a very religious person and think we're very religious. It can't apply to me. And I want to tell you, it exactly applies to you. There's no more religious than the Pharisees. But you know, there are, Maybe some of us, probably every one of us, will struggle with legalism at some point in our Christian walk. And maybe this is a time for us to recognize anything in our life where we're trying to look at ourselves and our own works and say, Well, I do this, God, so you have to bless me and you have to do these things in my life. I am performing good enough, aren't I, God? 
And we need to repent of that behavior too. And we need to fall on our knees before God and receive what He gives us and have an attitude of love and worship and adoration towards God. When we submit our life to God, then it is God working through us to fulfill us and also produce good works from us. This is the life that God has called us to. This is the gospel of grace. This is the only gospel. This is the only good news. This is the only way to heaven through the finished work of Jesus Christ. So may the finished work of Jesus Christ be received by all of us today, whether that's for salvation or whether that's for our Christian walk of sanctification. Let us pray. Father, we thank you for this word that is in your most holy word. And I pray, Lord, that now by the power of your Holy Spirit, you would impart these truths to our heart, that you would actually write them on our heart and our minds that we would be those who thrive in your grace. That we would be those who are energized by this amazing gospel of grace. The true good news of the world, Lord. And please, God, if anyone is here that is not saved, I pray that they'd cry out to you now. Anybody who may be trusting in religion or just some past experience with you or something they did as a kid, Lord, I pray that today they would surrender their life to you, Lord. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's all stand and we're going to have our prayer team up front. If anyone this morning would like prayer about anything, as we sing this last song, Just come on up front and let our prayer team pray for you. God bless you. Have a wonderful week. And uh, Lord willing, we'll see you Wednesday. So God bless you.